Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com dot com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's better help com slash sacred text. Hermione stood nervously between them, looking from one to the other. Ron opened his mouth uncertainly. Harry knew Ron was about to apologize, and suddenly he found he didn't need to hear it. It's okay, he said before Ron could get the words out. Forget it. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is a special forgiveness episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So Matt, we have a special episode today because you have a book out about forgiveness. We are going to look at three moments in the Harry Potter series in which we think your version, your ideas around forgiveness are really shown. And we're going to analyze those moments through the Matt Potts theological ideal of forgiveness Matt, congratulations on your book coming out. It's so good. Thanks, Vanessa. I'm very excited that it's out. It just came out a few days ago, and it's really thrilling to see your book in print, as you know, to see like it, an object in the world like that you can hold in your hands with a cover and pages. That's pretty exciting. It's also a beautiful cover for what it's worth. I know we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but yeah. if we were to judge a book by its cover— your book would be beautiful on the inside, too, because it's so gorgeous. It's really exciting because this is you at sort of the top of your game as a philosopher and theologian. And you have, over the last, you know, five to ten years of our friendship, shifted the way that I think about forgiveness. But I think that this is a paradigm-shifting book. And I just hope that the world receives it because I think it is an invitation to see the world differently and better. And I'm just so grateful to be friends with someone who's engaging in that really important theological work. I'm glad you feel that way. I hope it has that effect upon readers when they read it. That is why I wrote it, not because I wanted to do anything as ambitious as shift like a paradigm, but because I do think that the way that forgiveness is practiced and understood 
especially in Christian life, but I think, you know, given the cultural influence of Christianity in a lot of Western life, like I think the model of forgiveness that we have is kind of toxic in a lot of cases and causes a lot of harm to people who don't deserve it. And sometimes even causes a lot of harm to the folks who we should be trying most to care for, to keep from harm, like victims, right? And so I I wrote it because I think there are problems with forgiveness. I think forgiveness is super important. I think getting it wrong can really cause harm. And that's that's why I wanted to think about it more and invite other people to think about it more too. So we're going to apply your theories of forgiveness to three moments in the Harry Potter series. But I'm wondering first if you can just like give us the abstract of your book. What is the argument of your book that you are making about forgiveness? I hear you about wanting to shift it so to make sure that the onus isn't on victims. But what what is your theory on forgiveness? Yeah, Vanessa, well, you know, I think I'd like to start defining forgiveness by what it's not, you know, in negative terms, because I think that that was where my own concern about forgiveness arose, which is just recognizing the places where it causes harm and and trying to avoid those things. And really the kind of germ for this book, the idea for this book came from a conversation I had with a student at Harvard who was in a class I was teaching. And the class I was teaching was on forgiveness. And, you know, I was raising some of the problems and complications of forgiveness in that class. But the stakes of it, the importance of rethinking forgiveness became really important to me in this conversation I had with a student who came to see me in office hours and wanted to talk about forgiveness. And this student was a student who was, you know, pursuing a second career in ministry. She had been working as a social worker, as a clinical social worker for for many years before deciding to become ordained and, and start serving in ministry. And she was still working while going to divinity school. She was still taking clients. And she was telling me about a particular client that she had who was a woman in her 50s, who was a Christian pastor, and she was recently divorced from her ex-husband, also a Christian pastor. So this like two ministers who had been married to each other, and she had been divorced for a year or two. I don't remember the exact details. But this woman had suffered abuse from her husband for decades, the whole course of their marriage, of just about every kind. And she finally got free of him and felt free of him. She was free of him in every way except my student told me she had this deep, deep sense of shame and guilt because she could not forgive him. Mm-hmm. Right. And her community around her, her religious community, thought that she ought to forgive him. Yep. Her kids thought she ought to forgive him. Right. And she thought God wanted her to forgive him. And so she felt like, I'm a bad Christian. I'm a bad pastor. I finally got free of him because I was not safe there. But now I can't do the one thing Jesus tells us to do no matter what which is forgive him. But, you know, my student said that this person who had been the victim of abuse for so long did not actually wish her ex-husband any harm. She wasn't, like, trying to hurt him or injure him. She just, she didn't trust him and didn't want to be part of his life or have him in her life anymore, right? And she was saying, like, why do we have forgiveness if it's just going to make this person feel guilt and shame, who should be feeling freedom and relief and should be focusing on healing and instead the concept of forgiveness is keeping her from healing because all she can do is feel more of the guilt and shame that victims of abuse often suffer due to their abuse, right? And her, my student was totally right. <laughs> like that, a forgiveness which lands like that upon a victim is not a forgiveness that I have any use for, or any of us should have any use for. But the thing that I wanted to keep from it is that like, you know, this person was not hateful. This person did not wish any harm upon her ex-husband. She just couldn't trust him and 
who could blame her for not trusting him? She didn't want him in her life, right? She wasn't even necessarily angry with him. She just, although she would have a right to be, she just didn't want him in her life. And and to me, I want to like claim that posture, that position. The person who is ready to move on without hatefulness. Yeah. I want to claim that as a morally significant action and decision. Like, I want to be able, as that person's pastor, I want to be able to say to that person, you have forgiven. Like, what you have done is a moral accomplishment. You have a right to feel vengeance. You have a right to feel hateful towards this person. You have a right to be angry and all these things. The fact that you've decided to just move move away from that relationship is the right decision for you, for your safety. But, like, I want to commend the lack of hatefulness, right? And to me, that's that's really what's at stake in the idea of forgiveness. So that's kind of a long story to get to what I to what I mean about forgiveness, which is that I think forgiveness as it comes down in Christian culture tends to be a couple of things. We tend to associate it with like giving up one's anger, right? And so like, oh, I'm not angry mm-hmm. anymore, therefore I forgive you, right? And I'm not sure that that's true. I think you can be angry and still decide you don't want to hurt somebody in response to what they've done to you, right? Anger is a reaction to to harm, and it's a natural reaction to harm, and it's actually a sign that we're being harmed, and so it's a really important emotion. I think that we should pay attention to anger, our own anger and others' angers. But I think that the fact that we might not want anger to be enacted as violent action doesn't mean that we should not allow people to feel angry when they've been hurt, right? I mean, is it we should distinguish like violent retaliatory action from feelings of anger. And so I think it's really important to preserve the right of victims to feel anger and for them when they feel anger to say to those who have hurt them, I am angry at you. I will not do to you what you did to me, but I still demand right. some redress. I still demand that you acknowledge what has been done and that somebody yeah. fix it, right? So I want to preserve victim's anger when I think about forgiveness. The other thing that especially happens in Christian contexts, I think, is that forgiveness becomes like a lazy synonym for reconciliation, mm-hmm. right? So like when I say I forgive you or when I ask for forgiveness, what's being implied is like, okay, we've forgiven each other. We're good now, right? Right. Right. And this is where I think it gets really dangerous. And this is where the example of the story I gave, I think is really important. In the Christian New Testament, Jesus is fairly straightforward about saying, you just got to forgive. You know, sometimes he says people have to repent before you forgive, but sometimes he says just forgive whether they repent or not. It's not super clear. And if what's implied there is reconciliation, like to reconcile with someone just because they ask for it, right? Even though they have not proven to you that you can trust them, even though they've not proven to you that they are no longer a harm to you, that's dangerous, Yeah. right? I don't want to put victims in the situation where they feel they must reconcile with someone just because the other person has said sorry and asked to be reconciled because even a person who says sorry and means it, whatever that means, yeah. might not be trustworthy, right. right? What I want victims to do is be able to say like, no, I don't trust you. I actually don't want you in my life anymore. I'm not going to hurt you the way you hurt me. So I forgive you in that sense. But reconciliation is not something that's on offer until I trust that you will not hurt me again and until I actually want to be in a relationship with you, which I may never do again because of how badly you hurt me. Yeah. Again, I think that's a moral accomplishment to say to a person, I will not hurt you like you hurt me, but that doesn't mean that you've earned a relationship with me. Yeah. So those are the two main points. I think there are other things to say, but I'm interested in what you might think about. It's kind of these these two big sort of ideas of forgiveness that cling so closely to forgiveness, but I think also maybe kind of poison the way that we practice forgiveness in our lives. Yeah. 
So I'm lucky enough to have read this book a couple of years ago and to have been your friend throughout the process of you sort of thinking about this book. And so, you know, I, as many of our listeners know, four or five years ago now, I cut my aunt out of my life. And I went through this where I was really, I felt guilty about it. I was like, what if she dies, right? Like, am I going to feel bad about this, that I'm not in touch with her? And that leads me to one of the things I love most about your book. Because I said, I was like, but I, I can't stop resenting her. You know, I wish her well in the world, but I still don't like her. I'm still mad at her. And I wish I could just forgive and forget. And what you said was, no, forgetting isn't part of forgiveness. That yeah. if you forget something, you don't need to forgive it. That's not forgiveness. That's forgetting. <laughs> and separating those two things from each other for me was so freeing that I can simultaneously forgive her and be like, I have no idea what was going on with her. I can try to let go of my anger in separating myself from her, but I don't have to forget the things that she did. Yeah. And I see so many people say, I wish I could just forgive and forget. This is something that so many people deal mm -hmm. with. And I've been able to quote you and say, it's not forgiveness if you're forgetting. It's fine yeah. to remember. It's just meant so much to the people who I've done chaplaincy with being able to quote you in this way. And it's meant a lot to me. It's taken care of me a lot in the wake of my separating myself from my aunt. Well, I'm really grateful for that. I think it's super important. I mean, that one of the other kind of associations we have with forgiveness is that when you say, I forgive you, that means it's all okay and everything's over now. But actually, if you think about it, just the statement, I forgive you, is a judgment. It's a mm -hmm. statement of judgment because you can't forgive nothing. You only forgive a harm. So like what's hidden beneath the words, I forgive you, is you harmed me. Yeah. If I say to you, I forgive you, implied in that statement is you have harmed me. Yeah. It's casting a judgment on someone, but it's also saying that having declared to you that you've harmed me, I'm also going to tell you how I'm going to react to that harm, right? I'm not going to react to that harm reciprocally by harming you in return. I'm going to keep myself safe, but I'm declaring to the world as an act of memory. I remember, I know that you harmed me. And by saying, I forgive you, it is remembering. The kind of association of forgetting with forgiveness seems to me to be a meaning that kind of attaches to forgiveness, which serves offenders rather than victims, right? Right. I mean, think about all these things that forgiveness has come to mean culturally in our association, right? No anger, reconciliation, and forgetting. Like, that's a pretty good deal for you if you're an offender, right? That, <laughs> that way, if a person forgives you— It's like it didn't even happen. Right. I don't have to deal with the discomfort of your emotional distress and anger at what I've done to you. I don't have to work on fixing that for you. I don't have to try to do the hard work of earning your trust again so we can be in a relationship if that's a thing that, that I want. And I don't have to think about it anymore. We've both decided to forget it. And that is just not the way harm feels in the bodies and psyches of people who have experienced trauma and loss. Trauma and loss don't go away. You have to learn to live with it, right? And that's what I think forgiveness is. It's, it's deciding I am going to live with this thing. This thing that I've lost cannot be brought back. It can't be brought back by hurting you in return, which is our one of our instincts, our moral instincts, is to hurt people in return when we're hurt. But that doesn't bring back the thing I've lost. It also doesn't get brought back by forgiving you, <laughs> right? right? Rather, forgiveness is saying, no, this can't be brought back. And then trying to move forward with the fact of that loss. 
I should also say that, like, I mean, I think it's appropriate that we're looking at Harry Potter with this, because even though the talk so far has been, you know, kind of philosophical and abstract, the strategy of the book is to look at novels, because I, I actually think philosophy is really bad at talking about this. It gets into all these mistakes and makes all these mistakes. But novels and fiction actually engage the complexity of this question and the kind of the way it feels in the bodies of characters in a better and, and more illuminating way. Yeah, it is one of the brilliant things about the book that you use fiction or one of the things I love, not surprisingly. (laughs) So, so Matt, now we are going to talk about some examples from the Harry Potter books, and we are going to use your theory of forgiveness and that lens to apply to this scene. The first moment we're going to look at is the scene in which the quote that I read at the opening of this episode is from. So this is from chapter 20 of Goblet of Fire, the book that we're in right now. And so for those of you who don't recall, Ron has stopped talking to Harry after Harry's name came out of the Goblet of Fire because Ron is like, you did this on purpose. You always have to be the center of attention. And Ron is feeling insecure about the fact that he never gets to be the center of attention. He's one of a million Weasleys. He's you know, the sidekick to the Harry Potter, and he's been really frustrated, and he has been icing Harry out for a while from this place of anger. And after Harry completes the first task, which is incredibly dangerous, Ron says what I what I read to you, but I'm going to read it again. Harry, he said very seriously, whoever put your name in the Goblet of Fire, I reckon they were trying to do you in. It was as though the last few weeks had never happened, as though Harry were meeting Ron for the first time right after he'd been made champion. Caught on, have you, said Harry coldly. Took you long enough. Hermione stood nervously between them, looking from one to the other. Ron opened his mouth uncertainly. Harry knew Ron was about to apologize, and suddenly he found he didn't need it. It's okay, he said before Ron could get the words out. Forget it. No, said Ron. I shouldn't have. Forget it, Harry said. Ron grinned nervously at him, and Harry grinned back. And so, Matt, how do you, as now the, I think your official title now is the King of Forgiveness. How do you, as King of Forgiveness, read this scene? Yeah, there's a lot in this one, Vanessa. This is a great scene, not only because it comes from the book that we're reading right now, but also because it captures like a lot of these sort of cultural understandings about forgiveness, but also like what's at stake in thinking about forgiveness this way. And also to like just what we mean colloquially by phrases like it's okay and forget it. Because, you know, everything that I just said is like victims shouldn't have to say it's okay. Right. So maybe it's not okay. And what we have to deal with in, in our journey to reconciliation is dealing with the not okayness of it together, right? If we want to do if we want to do that together. And also that you ought not to forget things. And like Terry says, forget it. So I want to dig into that. I think the, way, the place I'd like to start, though, is that Ron never apologizes. Yeah. That Harry doesn't actually need him to apologize. And this is important because, you know, some folks say, like, you can forgive only if someone asks for repentance. But then the question becomes, like, okay, then what kind of repentance do they need to show? Like, how do you know the repentance is real? How do you know that penitence is sincere because you actually can't tell what a person feels on the inside you can only trust their words right and what happened in the christian tradition is like this anxiety over trusting people's actual repentance meant that they needed to prove that they were sincerely penitent and the way that they would prove that they were sincerely penitent was through subjecting themselves to self-punishment to self-mortification Right. So, you know, we have this in the Christian tradition, people harming themselves and hurting themselves to show that their penitence is sincere, which basically just means that, like, the penitence we demand takes the form of 
kind of retributive violence being required of those who have harmed us, right? So one of the things I'm thinking about is this question of apology and repentance. I think apology is good. I think repentance is good. But if we're defining forgiveness the way I want to define it, which is just the choice not to retaliate and respond to harm with reciprocal harm, if that's all forgiveness is, then a person doesn't have to apologize to me for me to decide that I'm not going to hurt them the way they hurt me, right? They might need to apologize to me if I want to reconcile with them, right? But for me to decide I'm not going to hurt them back the way they hurt me, it doesn't require that they apologize. And I think that's partly what's going on here, right? I mean, Harry's acting coldly because he doesn't trust Ron quite yet, right? I think he's still angry, which victims have the right to be. And I think it's okay for him to express that anger. But Harry also clearly doesn't want Ron to suffer. He sees Ron suffering. He sees him uncomfortable. He just has this intuition that that Ron understands now. And so Harry's like, okay, like, I don't need you to suffer anymore. I'm tired of suffering myself. Let's move on, Right. And the fact that what happens here, even though it doesn't have the standard kind of exchange or economy of forgiveness, where one person offers the apology and the other person accepts the apology, then offers forgiveness, and then the other person accepts the forgiveness, and then there's, right, there's not that kind of transactional thing going on. But what does happen is just from the beginning, Harry, though hurt and angry, does not wish Ron harm. Yeah. And Ron, having come to Harry and just having finally understood what Harry's been going through, it doesn't take long for them to choose be reconciled because Harry's not interested in reciprocal harm. And so that's really the kind of spirit of forgiveness that I think is operating in this episode. And that even undergirds his statements, which I think are problematic, like saying, it's okay, and forget it. And like even emphasizing the forget it, right? I think that those sentiments are understandable because when you want to move on with somebody, you're like, okay, we don't need to go back and forth. I'm not going to try to make you suffer through a dis- uncomfortable apology. It's okay. Let's move on. I, you know, I think we have to be careful with that language because what Ron did isn't okay, but okay, we can move on now, right? And the forget it is, I don't think it means like, therefore, what you did to me is insignificant and I'll never remember it again. I think it's more like, you know, we can move on without this being the thing that dominates our relationship anymore, right? Yeah, Matt, the other thing that I see going on through the lens that you've discussed in this interaction between Ron and Harry is Harry's essentially saying, I trust you in all ways except this. Like, you're going to keep being jealous of me. Like, this is going to keep being a problem. Yeah. And yeah. that's fine, right? Like, it's just okay. Like, I love you anyway. And so there isn't forgetting, right? It's saying, I trust you in all the ways that matter. This is going to be an ongoing problem for us. And it's fine that this is an ongoing problem for us. No relationship is perfect. Yeah. And it's interesting that they don't reconcile in some big way. They don't sit down and have a big conversation. And so we do see this problem coming up again and again, right? Like this is going to be the big fight in book seven when Ron storms off. And I think that that's also fine is to forgive someone who you love because you're like, I trust you in all the ways that matter. But, you know, best friend Kim who's listening, I don't trust you to be a good sport when we play Bananagrams. And we don't need to talk about it because it's fine. We just won't play Bananagrams. And I trust you in all the ways that matter. And that's why forgetting, again, ought not to be part of forgiveness. I mean, even if you use the language colloquially, like way these children are using it in this scene— like, if you actually do repair with someone and do restore relationships with someone, it's actually really important if you want to avoid hurting each other again to remember the ways that you were inclined to hurt each other, 
<laughs> right? Like, right. I need to remember that you're sensitive about this, Ron. We can't play Bananagrams yeah, right. or spit. Exactly. We can't play a game where hands are moving quickly because she'll hit me <laughs> and then I get mad. And then you get mad, right? And remembering that, not forgetting that is important to actually having a, a good French. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place. So you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Well, Vanessa, since you mentioned book seven, I'd like to bring up a scene from book seven. Please. This is a very long scene, so I won't read all of it. But this is a scene in chapter three of book seven when the Dursleys depart and they say goodbye to Harry and leave for Privet Drive forever. So I'm going to read just a short passage, but it's kind of a long scene, and we'll just kind of invite our readers to recall some of the context. Dudley gently released himself from his mother's clutches and walked toward Harry, who had to repress an urge to threaten him with magic. Then Dudley held out his large pink hand. Blimey, Dudley, said Harry over Aunt Petunia's renewed sobs. Did the Dementors blow a different personality into you? Dunno, muttered Dudley. See you, Harry. Yeah, said Harry, taking Dudley's hand and shaking it. Maybe. Take care, Big D. Dudley nearly smiled, then lumbered from the room. Harry heard his heavy footfalls on the gravel drive, and then a car door slammed. So, Matt, this is one of my favorite scenes. I love this scene. This is at the beginning of book seven when the Dursleys have to move out of their house because Harry is going to turn 17. And so the charm that's been protecting Privet Drive 
is going to expire. And so the Dursleys are at risk. Voldemort might kidnap them in order to manipulate Harry. And so they're saying goodbye. And obviously, there's been a lot of abuse and horrible, horrible behavior in this house. So this is fraught in about a million ways. So why did you choose this scene? What about it? Yeah, so the reason I chose this scene is because one of the ways I think about forgiveness is as deriving from this basic teaching of Jesus's, which is that you love your enemy, right? But loving your enemy gets complicated because what does love look like, right? And often we think that love looks like warm fellow feeling and reconciliation and not being angry. And I don't think it's any of those things because in this scene, you can see that Harry does not trust the Dursleys. If you remember just before this, like Harry's like, they think I'm a waste of space. And the Dursleys are super cruel to him, even in this moment that they are being saved. And Harry expects them to be cruel to him. Petunia literally can't get herself to say anything to him. Yeah. Right? Like, she can't say I'm sorry. She can't say, I hope you don't die. Right? Like, this is such an opportunity for her to say, like, your mother loved you. Right? Like, anything. And she just does none of it. Yep. And even the softest character, I think we're meant to like see Dudley softening here. But earlier in this scene, like Dudley doesn't quite say thank you for saving him from the Dementors. Like Carrie actually makes a point of saying, oh, it's almost like you thank me, Dudley. And Dudley doesn't say like, oh, yeah, thank you. He just moves on. Like they're still they're still not being as kind to Harry as Harry deserves. Right. And yet. Harry is still protecting them. Because he doesn't want them to be tortured by Voldemort. They don't deserve to be tortured by Voldemort. Like, he still has their best interest, you know, their safety in mind when he's helping them get away. But the other thing I like about it is that, like, we never see the Dursleys again or Dudley in the series, right? Like, at the end, Dudley says, see you, Harry. And Harry's like, maybe. Yeah. And I think we can reasonably conclude that they might never have seen each other again. Yeah. Which, again, speaks to this idea that reconciliation isn't necessarily part of it. Yeah. The Dursleys have not earned Harry's trust in this moment or in the moments afterwards, wherever they go afterwards. And so why would Harry want to reconcile with him? But also the fact that he doesn't want to reconcile with him does not mean that he wants them to suffer for all the things they've done to him. I mean, they tortured him for years. He doesn't want them tortured in return. And to me, like, Harry gets to be angry and gets to be snarky in this moment. And he's still a good guy because he does not want them to suffer. (laughs) Right. And I feel like Let's give him some moral plaudits for not wanting vengeance in this moment and just sending them off and saying, go in peace, but stay away from me. Like, I feel like yeah. that's a, an important moral posture and Harry takes it. And I think we should have a name for it. And I think maybe the name for it is forgiveness. Yeah. I love the moment in the scene where he's like, fine, stay. Right. Like, I've given you all the information. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. beg you. Right. Like, I've done enough. <laughs> Like, I told you, I brought these people in to protect you. I'm actually going right. pretty far out of my way to help. I'm not going to, like, lay out a red carpet for you. It's so dignified. And I guess, Matt, the only thing I would a little bit, not push back on, but the yeah. only thing I would say differently is I hope that Harry and Dudley reconcile. It yeah. seems to me in this scene that Dudley is trying something, right? He's trying something new. Yeah. He has processed this thing that happens at the beginning of book five where Harry protected him from a Dementor, you know, and Dudley is only 17 now. And he's like, no, mom and dad, I don't think he's a waste of space, right? And this is when Harry sort of puts together that Dudley hasn't been trying to booby trap him. He's been setting out tea for Harry. Yeah. And Dudley has been trying. And so I do hope, you know, Harry says maybe, I think because he's like – you know, you guys might not like me enough, but also 
He's yeah. like, I might die, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I really do hope that the two of them find a way to, like, at least send each other Christmas cards, you know, to show evidence yep. of care throughout their lives. I hope he never speaks to Vernon and Petunia again unless they, like, grovel yeah. and spend a really long time proving that they've changed and are trustworthy again. Yeah. But Dudley, I, I really hope that they can connect again. I hope they do, too. You know, yeah. I really do. I think maybe even Harry hopes a little bit. There's something yeah. in the tone of that final statement where he's like, oh, if Dudley is actually this different person, if he is changing into somebody else, maybe there could be. I don't think the maybe is cynical. I think it's yeah. unsure. Yeah. I think that it's absolutely right for us to hope for forgiveness that we cannot believe in yet. And I think it's actually right to hope for reconciliation. Yeah. But that's that stuff's got to be earned, right? Like, whereas deciding not to hurt somebody in return doesn't need to be earned in the same way, I don't think, you know? I mean, not to get too theological, right? But, you know, Jesus does have all these commandments throughout the New Testament to forgive, that Christians ought to forgive. But when reconciliation is talked about in the New Testament, it says God will reconcile all things at the end, right? Ooh. And so we should strive for forgiveness and aspire to forgiveness. But it actually implies that we don't always have the capacity in our own power to accomplish that. Yeah. I'm just thinking, Matt, <laughs> I just got to spend the day with my niece and nephew who are four and two. Yeah. And my niece very much hurt her older brother on purpose. Yeah. She was hitting him with a jacket and she thought it was very funny. And then it actually hurt him. And then she felt really bad. Yeah. Right. And so she, you know, my older brother was like, can you please say I'm sorry? And she, you know, in her two and a half year old voice said she was sorry. It was very cute. But then later she was playing with a jacket and my nephew got out of the way. Right. Yeah. He was like, I forgive you, but I do not trust you exactly. with two and a half year old motor skills and a jacket. <laughs> right. That's right. And so I just feel like there's some extent of like kids know this. Like, I'm not mad yeah. at you. I know you don't mean to hurt me. You're just having fun. But you cannot be trusted with a rain jacket. Right. Right. Two and a half year old. Your motor skills are not there. I should also say that, like, I mean, trying to turn my kids away from reciprocal harm. That was right. that. That was a task, right? Like when you get hurt, like you want to hurt somebody back. That's totally intuitive and instinctive. And I don't think that impulse within a person is something that we need to moralize or demonize in victims. That's just a natural response to your body when you're harmed. I think the, the moral question is like, hey, what do we do with our feelings? And that's what I you try to say to kids, right? Like, it's okay to be angry right. when someone hurts you. It's okay to feel hurt. What are you going to do with those feelings? Are you going to hurt somebody in return? Maybe not. Like, maybe we're going to do something else, right? Yeah. Are you going to hit her back with the jacket? You're four and a half and she's two and a half. That might actually right. hurt her. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place. So you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. 
Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right. Vanessa, let's do one more scene from the Harry Potter series. Do you have one? Yeah. So we've talked about this scene quite a bit, but I would love to look at it again through your lens. And that is in book three, Hermione tells Professor McGonagall that Harry got a mysterious firebolt from someone and that she's concerned that Sirius Black sent it. And Ron and Harry decide to, quote unquote, forgive Hermione because they got the broom back. But Hermione's not sorry. Hermione didn't do anything wrong. And she would do it again. And so there's no repentance. And yet the boys are just like, well, there was no harm. So let's forgive her. And I'm wondering what you think that forgiveness is. The boys being like, meh, we're tired of being mad at her. Yeah, that's really interesting, Vanessa. I mean, this is a really important scene, and we did talk about it a lot. And yeah, the sort of Hermione's absolute refusal of any kind of, like, apology or repentance, which is fair enough, right? Like, I think she probably did the right thing, given the information she had. And given that information again, would do it again and probably ought to do it again. And the boys were super unkind and, like, not thoughtful in every sense of that word. Not thinking through the fact that she was probably right to be cautious and also just not being kind to her when all she was doing was trying to protect them, right? In some ways, Hermione was always being the more forgiving one. Because they were harming her, and she was just still looking out for the best interests, right? You could imagine a less forgiving posture from Hermione to be like, you know what? Right. Go get destroyed by this broom, because you're being jerks, right? Like, I'm going to harm you in return for what you did to me. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a reconciliation at the end of the scene, because the relationship is restored. But I'm not sure there's a forgiveness, because what happens is the boys are like, oh, in the end, she didn't actually harm us, so I guess we can stop harming her. Right. Like the reason they decide they no longer want to reciprocally harm her is because they realize that they have not been harmed. Right. So it's not they're like, oh, you harmed me, but I'm not going to do to you what you did to me in the first place. They're like, oh, you never did anything to me. So I guess we should stop doing what we were doing to you. Right. Like there's instead of like that posture of non-retaliation, they just realize that they were not, never harmed in the first place. And so give up on their retaliation. To me, that's not really forgiveness. They just yeah. kind of move on from it. The forgiving person in this chapter is Hermione, who, yeah. despite the fact that she's being harmed, still does not trust them, is not in strong relationship with them, but is still working on their behalf for their well-being through all of this. I love that distinction. I love it because 
not all anger is righteous anger, right? Like the boys are pissed and, you know, anger tells us something. It just doesn't always point to the wrongdoing of someone else. It, right? Like what they're actually mad about is that they live in an unsafe world in which broomsticks can't always be trusted. And that's so annoying because it's such a pretty broom. Um. (laughs) Right. But Hermione, the, right? They're projecting their anger onto Hermione. She actually hasn't done right. anything wrong. Yeah, and she might, in response, be like, "Fine, go ride this risky broom and take some chances with your well-being." And instead, she's like, "You know what? Even though it's going to be costly to me, I'm going right. to try to protect you because I care about you, and I'm not going to hurt you the way you're hurting me." She's amazing. Hermione's the best. Well, everybody, I really hope that you read this book. It's called Forgiveness, an Alternative Account. You can find it on our website. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it at your local bookstore. You might have to special order it because not all bookstores order theology books. Next week, we're going to be reading book four, chapter 13, Mad-Eye Moody, through the theme of rage. And Matt, you are going to be telling a story. And I hope it's not about me. Oh my gosh, I have the moment. I don't have a lot of moments of rage, but I feel like It just popped into my head. I already know the story I'm going to tell. Can't wait to tell it. Well, everybody, this has been Harry Potter and Sacred Texts. A couple of announcements before we give our thanks. You can subscribe for ad-free episodes on Apple. We, of course, have our Harry Potter and the Sacred Texts summer camp coming up. We have an Emily Dickinson pilgrimage that's on sale now. It'll be me and Stephanie Paulsell and the wonderful Amy Hollywoods talking about Emily Dickinson. We have our Herb and Myth Tarot a Sacred class. And we have a DC live show that also has virtual tickets available. So regardless of where you are, you can join us for our DC live show. You can find out more about all of this at NotSorryWorks.com. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Uramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks this week, as always, to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Wilson, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Turkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and Hannah Rehack. Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. And congratulations, Matt. Thanks, Vanessa. Bye, everyone. Bye, forgiveness, an alternative account. When they sent me the advanced copies, I I didn't want to look inside of it because I'm always I'm afraid I'm going to see something I don't like and then I can't change it. Yeah. So this is a book that I can now only judge by its cover. I refuse to read it, <laughs> but I like looking at it. So.